Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nathaniel Paul Thurston, and I'm in my living room right now. If you can believe such a thing, I'm just hanging out on my couch with my little mobile podcasting setup, set up on my coffee table. Uh, my, my wife and the dog are upstairs, and they can hear me. If you can hear me right now, wife and dog, uh, you're doing a great job being so, so quiet. Thank you to all the people in the Fed Haters Club that are hanging out with me right now. Uh, it, and what is, I'll, I'm going to let you behind the curtain, it's actually nighttime right now. It's not morning. This is good morning Libya right now, or good, good morning, yeah, good morning Tripoli. We'll just say it like that. It comes out, rolls off the tongue, just like Liberty. It's not that different. But when this episode comes out, it's probably going to be morning where you are. Okay, so the Fed Haters Club, that's joingmail.com. Go do that. Go to godhatesfeds.com. Get yourself a nice t-shirt or whatever else there is for sale on that website. What are we talking about? Well, a big piece of the news that's out right now has to do with Ukraine and this dam that got blown up today or yesterday, I suppose, uh, their time. So this is going to be one of those things where we don't actually know what happened and we might find out what happened later on. Of course, Ukraine is accusing Russia of blowing up this dam and Russia is accusing Ukraine of blowing up this dam. These days, we have no idea who we can believe. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. Doesn't mean that I am a Putin apologist or whatever. Doesn't mean that I'm giving in to all the Russian propaganda. It just means that we've been looking at what's been going on, and it seems like sometimes Ukraine is behind some of these things. I'll tell you why after this story. But this, this dam, which I'm going to, uh, Kahavka, I think is how you say it, Novakahavka Dam, this is going to be Potentially pretty bad. I'm going to play the video from NBC News. For a critical dam and hydroelectric power plant. This video shot from the banks showing huge chunks of the Kohovka Dam destroyed. Ukraine blames Russia for blowing up the strategic dam overnight, which is under Russian control in the Kherson region. President Zelensky calling it a terrorist attack. While Russian state media accuses Ukraine of attacking the dam without providing any evidence. The reservoir, roughly the same size as Utah's Great Salt Lake. I want to pause that video right there. It's kind of funny how they say that Ukraine calls this a terrorist attack. And then Russia says that Ukraine did it. Russia doesn't have any evidence. They have to point that out. Now, I know that Ukraine are the victims here. Clearly, this is Russia occupying some of their territory. But it is important to note that this is Russia-controlled territory. And this is a water source for Crimea, which has been Russian controlled for quite a while. In fact, I'm going to play a video of Tucker Carlson talking about this, but I am going to correct from everything that I've read. Uh, what Tucker Carlson said here is unfounded, where he says that the nuclear power plant is in danger. At first, I read plenty of things saying that the nuclear power plant was in danger. This is the really big one that people were talking about. I've Read plenty of stories on this. They already had five of the six reactors shut down until about six months ago or late last year. They started shutting down the final reactor in the nuclear plant because they weren't able to protect it properly. 
and so it was just best to shut the thing down. So this thing's already winding down and is not producing any power uh, because the lines to it have already been cut off. The only thing I've read was that this will make it difficult for them to ever turn it back on. That's the only thing that I've seen so far. So I, I did want to tell you before I play what Tucker had to say, which of course he's just parroting whatever Putin wants him to say. That's a, that's a joke. That's not what he's doing. Um, let's see what Tucker had to say. I believe this is his first day back, and he's on Twitter now. So Twitter, Twitter Tucker, let's hear what he had to say. It's Tucker Carlson. This morning it looks like somebody blew up the Kokovka Dam in southern Ukraine. The rushing wall of water wiped out entire villages, destroyed a critical hydropower plant, and as of tonight puts the largest nuclear reactor in Europe in danger of melting down. So if this was intentional, it was not a military tactic, it was an act of terrorism. The question is, who did it? Well, let's see. The Kokovka Dam was effectively Russian. It was built by the Russian government. It currently sits in Russian-controlled territory. The dam's reservoir supplies water to Crimea, which has been, for the last 240 years, home of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Blowing up the dam may be bad for Ukraine, but it hurts Russia more. And for precisely that reason, the Ukrainian government has considered destroying it. In December, the Washington Post quoted a Ukrainian general saying his men had fired American-made rockets at the dam's floodgate as a test strike. So really, once... All right, so yet again, we are in this scenario where uh, this major piece of infrastructure has been sabotaged by someone. Uh, Ukraine saying it was Russia, Russia saying it was Ukraine. The first things that I read about it, I will admit, I agree, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Russia to destroy this thing, especially if they plan on keeping Ukraine for themselves, especially if it supplies water to Crimea, especially if they built it in the first place. In the remaining part of that NBC News piece that I didn't go all the way through, they talk about how many hundreds of thousands of people are going to be directly affected by this. And you're talking half a million people directly affected by this, either through flooding or loss of power. This could end up turning into a big humanitarian disaster that becomes a reason for giving them more money. I'm just warning you right now. This could end up being a reason that we give them more money because they need... Now it's not for the war. This is just going to be pure humanitarian aid for the hundreds of thousands of people that are affected by this disaster that Zelensky is calling a terrorist attack. And by the way, he's also calling it an environmental bomb of mass destruction. He probably meant to say weapon of mass destruction, which makes this an environmental weapon of mass destruction or an EWMD because it's 2023 and everything has to start with E right now. The way that he's going at this, it just reminds me of some previous things that happened. And you'll just have to excuse me if I don't immediately believe Ukraine on this one, especially after the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage. And you remember that time that Ukraine accidentally bombed Poland and then blamed it on Russia immediately? And then they found out that, well, it was actually Ukraine, and then it's not something that we just didn't talk about anymore. It was an accident, clearly. They would, didn't do that so they could blame it on Russia immediately or anything like that. So, speaking of this whole thing, 
Oh, by the way, U.S. intelligence is leaning towards Russia being behind this damn attack. So that tells us nothing at all, except for that it's probably the, the opposite of that. It's typically, that's the way that things go. How about this thing today from the Washington Post? The U.S. had intelligence of detailed Ukrainian plan to attack the Nord Stream pipeline. About three months before it actually happened. By the way, this is the Washington Post posting this out. And how do we get this information? From the Discord leaks from that kid, Jack Teixeira, who was trying to look really cool for his Discord friends. I don't call him a hero because he didn't intend on us ever figuring out this information. He just wanted to look cool. But the information that he leaked was still beneficial for all of us. So three months, this is from the Washington Post, three months before saboteurs bombed the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline, the Biden administration learned from a close ally that the Ukrainian military had planned a covert attack on the undersea network using a small team of divers who reportedly who reported directly to the commander-in-chief of the Ukrainian armed forces. This is starting to sound a lot like that conspiracy theory, uh, the conspiracy theorist uh, Seymour Hirsch writing on his blog site, right? Details about the plan, which have not been previously recorded, were collected by a European intelligence service and shared with the CIA in June of 2022. They provided some of the most specific evidence to date linking the government of Ukraine to the eventual attack in the Baltic Sea, which U.S. and Western officials have called a brazen and dangerous act of sabotage on Europe's energy infrastructure. Now, what does it mean if we end up proving that Ukraine actually did this? Is it as long as Zelensky, who's going to have this plausible deniability, as long as he didn't know that they were going to do it, then it doesn't matter that everyone else below him knew that they were going to do it? Is that how this works? That we just all accept that as long as the president didn't know, then it doesn't matter what a country did. Do we hold that standard for everyone? If our country just bombed someone, but the president didn't know? I mean, that's basically what we do all the time. There's no way he knows anything about what's going on. The European intelligence report was shared on the chat platform Discord. That came from Jack Teixeira. We talked about that. The report was based on information obtained from an individual in Ukraine. The source's information could not immediately be corroborated, but the CIA shared the report with Germany and other European countries last June. The highly specific details, which include numbers of operatives and methods of attack, show that for nearly a year, Western allies had a basis, of, a basis to suspect Kiev in the sabotage. That assessment has only strengthened in recent months as German law enforcement investigators un uncovered evidence about the bombing that bears striking similarities to what the European service said Ukraine was planning. Officials in multiple countries confirmed that the intelligence summary posted on Discord accur accurately stated what the European service told the CIA. Ukrainian officials who had previously denied the country was involved in the Nord Stream attack did not respond for requests to comment. The White House declined to comment about the European report and alleged Ukrainian military plot. The CIA declined to comment. Of course, they would all decline to comment anyway. 
Some Biden administration officials initially suggested that Russia was to blame for what President Biden called a deliberate act of sabotage, promising the United States would work with its allies to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. They are saying now, <laughs> look at this, with winter approaching, it appeared the Kremlin might have intended to strangle the flow of energy, an act of blackmail, some leaders said, designed to intimidate European countries. Yeah, that's how you intimidate European countries. You blow up your own freaking way of selling them your own stuff. That's how you blackmail them. You don't just stop sending stuff through the pipelines. That kind of seems like an easier way to do it. Uh, than, than just blowing up the pipes to where you couldn't use them afterwards. You could just hit, turn to uh, hit the off button and then it stops. Uh, that would be way easier than conducting this dive, this secret dodge, dip, duck, and dive attack that they did with this pipeline. The Biden administration officials now privately concede there's no evidence that points to Moscow's involvement, but publicly they deflect questions about who might be responsible. European officials in several countries have quietly suggested that Ukraine was behind the attack, but resist publicly saying so over fears that blaming Kyiv could fracture the alliance against Russia. At gatherings of European and NATO policymakers, officials have settled into a rhythm. As one senior European diplomat said recently, don't talk about Nord Stream. The European intelligence made clear that the would-be attackers were not rogue, all those involved reported directly to General Valery, Ukrainian last name, the country's highest ranking military officer. We're just going to call him General Z, who was put in charge so that Ukraine's president, Vladimir Z, wouldn't know about the operation. So that's so you can take him out of the loop and so he can deny that he had any knowledge of it. That way, this government can just do whatever they want, and you apparently can never fault them for it. That's how this works. How about that? Despite any reservations the CIA might have had, the agency communicated the June intelligence to counterparts in Germany and European countries. Uh, what I want to know is, since Germany was told about this Ukrainian plot months before this happened, is why didn't Germany come right out and blame Ukraine? It's so weird how this alliance, this, this weird thing where you just, you can't say anything bad about Ukraine. And it's because we've tied this big virtue signaling bow around Ukraine and made them the good versus the Russian evil. And so if you say anything bad about them, then you must not be good and pure like Ukraine is. Uh, this, this can't go on forever. Uh, they're going to keep testing the limits, I believe. And I just want to point out that it is possible to dislike both Russia and Ukraine. Saying that Ukraine does bad things doesn't mean that you like Russia. Uh, there doesn't have to be a hero in this fight. Sometimes a war is just between two bad countries. The real question comes down to how much support the American people are willing to give? And are we actually aware of the risks that are associated? Are we willing to continue to supply Ukraine with weapons that could potentially strike mainland Russia, uh, killing innocent civilians and escalating the conflict to an actual war between Russia and the USA? 
because we know from these same Discord leaks, these same documents, that Ukraine was planning on bombing Moscow, drone strikes in Moscow, and the U.S. had to talk them out of it. And then we still see these drones hitting Moscow and hitting these, hitting the, the Kremlin and these uh, residential targets, and then they say, oh, no, we didn't know anything about that, but I bet they're going to keep happening. How long is this going to go on? And how long is Russia going to accept that they're just rogue people and not Ukraine? And they're not actually going to start holding us responsible for the things that are happening. We'll see. Now, the next one, as we continue down the Ukraine train for a moment, has to do with these Nazi symbols on Ukraine's front lines. This is a ridiculous, ridiculous article. Now, I saw some people... Mention, I believe Glenn Greenwald uh, said, hey, look at this, some actual reporting from the New York Times. I don't think Glenn read the article because this, when talking about people literally wearing things like swastikas or whatever the other patches are, um, we don't even get this kind of cover for people wearing the Gadsden flag. Uh, that's that's like a guaranteed you're you're a racist Nazi then. But apparently, if you wear Nazi symbols and you're a member of Ukraine's military, it's complicated. It's just complicated. the The article headline is "Nazi symbols on Ukraine's front lines highlight highlight thorny issues of history." Now imagine that same kind of headline being written about anyone else who was just literally wearing Nazi symbols on their clothing or on their uniforms. Ah, it's complicated. It's a really complicated history, you know, we have with Nazis in Ukraine. Well, from the New York Times, since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine last year, the Ukrainian government and NATO allies have posted and then quietly deleted three seemingly innocuous photographs from the social media feeds. A soldier standing in a group, another resting in a trench, and an emergency worker posing in front of a truck. In each photograph, Ukrainians in uniform wore patches featuring symbols that were made notorious by Nazi Germany and have since become part of the iconography of far-right hate groups. Now, notice that the Ukrainians aren't Nazis here because they're wearing Nazi symbols. They just happen to be wearing uniforms with patches featuring symbols that happen to be made notorious by Nazi Germany and have since become part of the iconography of far-right hate groups. But that's not what they're doing. The photographs and their deletions highlight the Ukrainian military's complicated relationship with Nazi imagery. Nazism or Nazis, a complicated relationship with Nazi imagery, a, relation, a relationship forged under both Soviet and German occupation during World War II. That relationship has become especially delicate because President Putin of Russia has falsely declared Ukraine to be a Nazi state, a claim that he used to justify his illegal invasion. I'm not saying that Ukraine's full of a bunch of Nazis. I'm not saying the government's Nazi or whatever. That are probably fascist, like a bunch of the governments are these days. 
I'm not saying that they're straight-up Nazis. Those can be different things, I reckon. Ukraine has worked for years through legislation and military restructuring to contain a fringe far-right movement whose members... Now, this is already this, the way that they word this. They wouldn't even be this nice to the right in America, you know? It's not like a couple crazy nut jobs out of a bunch of uh, reasonable, rational people who are on the right or that are conservative or whatever. It's just a, they're just being ran by the far right. They're all basically Nazis and fascists. That's just the way it gets treated. But you actually have soldiers and entire battalions of people uh, that are just, I guess they're not Nazis. They're just confused about Nazi imagery or whatever. Uh, well, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt whose members proudly wear symbols steeped, the symbols, they proudly wear symbols that are steeped in Nazi history, and, this, and okay, so they wear these symbols, and the symbols themselves have Nazi history, although it's not the symbol's fault, and these people also happen to espouse views hostile to leftist LGBTQ movements and ethnic minorities. Now, that's just a coincidence. It's not that they happen to be wearing this Nazi imagery and they have views that are hostile to LGBTQ movements and ethnic minorities. Those are just weird, but the, the, the patches that they're wearing don't have anything to do with that. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated, okay? But some members of these groups have been fighting Russia since the Kremlin illegally annexed part of the Crimea region in 2014 are now part of the broader military structure. The iconography of these groups, including a skull and crossbones patch worn by concentration camp guards and a symbol known as the Black Sun, now appears with some regularity on the uniforms of soldiers fighting on the front line, including soldiers who say the imagery symbolizes Ukrainian sovereignty and pride, not Nazism. I'm not saying that this isn't possible. What I'm saying is this is galder and annoying to come from an American news publication where if someone had a Confederate flag on their shirt, I don't think that they would have this much grace for them saying, oh, it just means that I'm a rebel. You know, I'm not saying that I want to fight for the South and keep slaves or anything. I'd just like to put this thing on my truck, man. That's not what they would say at all. You put the... You put the Gadsden flag on your vehicle or a flag in front of your house, racist, immediately. There's no complicated history with the Gadsden flag. That's just what it means. In short term, in the short term, the threatens to, this is, this is threatening to reinforce Putin's propaganda and give fuel to his false claims that Ukraine must be denazified a position that ignores the fact that Ukraine's president, Zelensky, is Jewish. I don't think that that really matters, honestly, because uh, Zelensky, he has no idea. He didn't have any idea that this was going on. So who cares? Uh, maybe one of the generals did. I don't know. But uh, you, Zelensky denies any involvement or any knowledge of the matter. So who cares? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Think about this with me, folks. Seriously, I want you to think about it for a minute. Over the past week, how much time did you spend on yourself, on things that you needed and wanted versus the amount of time you spent on other people? 
I mean, actually, what's the answer to that? For me, I don't even want to tell you the ratio. It's not that great. It's easy to get caught up worrying about everyone else and what makes them happy. And then a couple months go by and you're like, whoa, what about me? What do I need? Therapy can help you strike a better balance in your life so you can continue being a great friend or a great family member without getting stretched too thin and burn out. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, flexible, and convenient. Just fill out a few questions on the website to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can even switch therapists at any time for no charge. Hey, listen, my life was changed because I chose to go to therapy. Charlie still uses BetterHelp. He's been using it for a few years. He loves it, loves the app. Seriously, if you're thinking about this, I highly recommend BetterHelp. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GML. What worries me, this is a quote right here, what worries me in the Ukrainian context is that people in Ukraine who are in leadership positions, either they don't or they're not willing to acknowledge and understand how these symbols are viewed outside of Ukraine. Yes, that's right. The people in Ukraine who actually, listen, Ukraine was a little bit closer to World War II than we were, okay? Now, they can be, uh, some of them can be a little bit more sympathetic because they didn't like Stalin all that much. And maybe when Hitler came marching in, it was better for them than living under Stalin, okay? I get that that can be complicated, but I don't think that they misunderstand how uh, swastika is viewed around the world, unless you're saying that there is a bunch of idiots that live there. Uh, but I don't think that they just have no, oh, we had no clue that this literal Nazi death doctor's imagery uh, was going to be viewed uh, negatively around the world. Well, <laughs> well, that doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. So far, the imagery has not eroded international support for the war. That's because people just deny that it exists. They like to write about it a lot. We've talked about all the news headlines, uh, all the news stories. They say so far it hasn't eroded support. That's because everyone stopped talking about it. And if you did talk about it, you were, if you talked about it, you were actually a far right wing Nazi nut job if you actually brought it up. Uh, but if you hid the fact, that there were Nazis fighting for Ukraine, uh, that makes you a peacekeeper. And if you brought it up, that made you a Nazi. That's just the way that it is. It was, however, left diplomats, Western journalists, and advocacy groups in a difficult... It, it has diplomats and journalists and advocacy groups in a difficult position. It's very difficult. Calling attention to the iconography... Remember, these are just patches. Just patches that people are wearing. And they just don't, these idiots out there in Ukraine, they had no clue. They got no clue what people might see when they see literal Nazi imagery. They got no idea. So here's the, the tough spot they're in, a rock and a hard place here. Calling attention to the iconography risks playing into Russian propaganda. Saying nothing allows it to spread. Mm. Well, what if you just said what the truth was? That's a pretty easy answer right there. You just say what the truth was and what the truth is. And if they want to say, oh, you're just playing into Russian propaganda. Okay, here's the literal truth. There you go. I don't care what the hell you say about it. I don't care if you say that I'm playing in the Russian propaganda or not. Here's what the actual truth is. Make of it what you will, but now at least I've said it. That is what a journalist should do. It's not that difficult. 
Even Jewish groups and anti-hate organizations that have traditionally called out hateful symbols have stayed silent. Privately, some leaders have worried about being seen as embracing Russian propaganda talking points. Questions over how to interpret such symbols are as divisive as they are persistent. And then they do bring in the Confederate flag symbolizing, people say, the Confederate flag symbolizes pride, not its history of racism and secession. Now, the New York Times is literally bringing up the fact that, well, some people, they wear the Confederate flag and it has nothing to do with the South and racism and all that. It literally took Ukraine, Ukrainian Nazis to the, for the New York Times to give some people the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe that's not what they mean by this symbol. I know people that have worn rebel flags. I got no, it's just a flag that, you know, literally rebel, what it says, you know, makes them feel good. I don't know. The swastika was an important Hindu symbol before it was co-opted by the Nazis. Now we got the New York Times talking about how the swastika was an important Hindu symbol. Wow, Ukraine, how did they do this? Uh, the patch in the photograph, oh, let me find this, one of these other photographs. So it's really funny in this, uh, in this article, by the way, from the New York Times, they, play, they, they post three different photos. And actually in the photos, it's kind of difficult to even find what they're talking about. Like it's kind of find the Nazi patch game going on right now. But apparently there's one right here. If you know that there's one, I believe called the Black Sun, I think. Is that what they called it? I don't know, I'm not familiar with my Nazi patches. Uh, and then there's another one here with the skull and the crossbones. That's in this picture. They find these random photos that aren't super obvious. They're not as obvious as the ones where they're like people wearing actual Nazi patches or anything like that, um, or actual swastikas or SS things. Uh, they, they didn't post those in, in this New York Times article. They posted these random symbols that I don't even know. I don't know who pays enough attention to this stuff to know what these things are. Just wow. I just want to say wow. How about that? It's pretty crazy. And by the way, I don't even care. I don't care about what the troops are wearing at all. I'm annoyed by the double standard. Like, what, what do you think the New York Times would be saying if a Trump supporter, just say Trump supporter, literally wore the exact same patches as some of the Ukrainian soldiers. Do you think they would be saying the same thing? Yeah, and Councilman Hip just brought up the OK symbol. How easy was it for them to say, oh, oh, that's what that means now. It's an OK symbol. It was a joke. Did anyone ever said it was racist in the first place? And I guess it worked. I don't know. I don't know how that works. What would they say? If someone, I mean, it's hard, and I really, 
Uh, let me see who just brought up the MAGA hats. Imagine if Ukrainian troops wore MAGA hats. How awful would that be? <laughs> Literally, I think they would be writing up a worse piece if the Ukrainian troops were wearing MAGA hats. They could wear actual Nazi iconography. Uh, by the way, it's not because they like the old Hindu symbol or anything. It's because they're um, Nazis. That's, <laughs> that's actually why. I know it's complicated. But this is kind of annoying. This is pure, just political partisanship that's solely based on the fact that those in power want to stay involved in the war. So we're supposed to see Ukraine as the good guys. That's it. The only reason the media is not on this 24-7 is because they don't want the American people to be against helping Ukraine. That's, that's it. And that's what's annoying about it, is that there's, it's just People trying to manipulate people is what's happening. I just want to see them talking about the truth. They almost talked about the truth, but they, they neglect to ever say that any of the Ukrainian troops could actually be Nazis. They essentially said that they're too stupid to realize that some people think these symbols are Nazi symbols. That's, that's basically it, even though there's like literal Nazis. It's crazy. Okay. The next part, this is all related. Two more things here. From Yahoo News, I can't remember the original place this came from. Uh, inside the high stakes clash for control of Ukraine's story. This has to do with journalists that are covering the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So they have to be careful what they say because the Ukrainian government could just revoke their credentials. And this has happened plenty of times. Articles and broadcasts from outlets, including NBC News, The New York Times, CNN, The New Yorker, and the Ukrainian digital broadcaster, I don't know what that word is, have led to journalists having their credentials threatened, revoked, or denied over charges they've broken rules imposed by Ukrainian by the Ukrainian government, the New Yorker blow-up is the latest in a running series of conflicts. This is just a photographer uh, posting about things. Uh, between the media covering the war and the Ukrainian authorities, which have had to ramp up massive press operation as they fight for their country's life against an invader four times their size. Their, mil their military press office vets journalists and issues passes which allow them to travel to certain areas, often with press handlers and to interview officials after signing a document stating that journalists will abide by the rules outlined by the military. One particular target of official Ukrainian ire has been the New York Times reporter, Thomas Gibbons Neff, a former U.S. Marine who covers the Ukrainian military closely and who drew anger when he said that the Ukrainians were using banned cluster munitions. He had his credentials revoked and his renewal denied in separate incidents. Uh, they were ultimately reissued. Another tense incident began this February when an NBC News crew rode the train from Moscow to Crimea. To Crimea. Let me play you this video right quick. Of something that I, I will give them props, uh, they, they left it up here, but they went to Crimea, which used to be uh, part of Ukraine until 2014, and they asked people on the street whether or not 
they were part of Russia or Ukraine and whether or not they wanted to be part of Russia or Ukraine. And NBC News posted videos saying, showing these people on the street saying, oh, yeah, Russia, of course. What do you mean? Well, Ukraine doesn't like that because their eventual plan, which is not, is not going to be good if they actually try to do it. Their eventual plan is to retake Crimea. And that is going to be rough. Well, let's play what NBC News still has left up on their website. Like I said, props to them. Planes targeting the besieged town of Bakhmut. Russia is destroying Ukraine's defenses there, President Zelensky said overnight. Again, calling for Western combat aircraft. His ultimate objective is taking back Crimea. In October, an explosion rocked President Putin's prized bridge to the peninsula. Putin blamed Ukraine's special services. Kyiv never admitted responsibility. We crossed into Crimea by train, across what the United Nations calls Ukraine's internationally recognized border. This is where that explosion hit this bridge last October at around this time in the morning. The bridge was fully reopened just last week. Inside, the territory is teeming with Russian soldiers. And if Ukraine plans to take it back with force, many civilians will be caught in the middle. 2.4 million people live here. In Sevastopol, large numbers support Russia. Is Crimea Russian or Ukrainian? Russian, Crimea is Russian. Of course Russian. Forever, this 73-year-old Braskovia Baranova tells me. There's a sign for a bomb shelter over there. So what, she says. Are you frightened? No, she says. If it's needed, we'll just go to a bomb shelter. If we don't defend our motherland, we will become slaves, Ruslan Nalgiev says. The streets are lined with propaganda. The West doesn't need Russia. We need Russia, this poster reads. But the UN has accused Russia of many human rights abuses in Crimea. Okay, so in the, in the NBC News piece, they say that Basically, everyone they talked to said, yeah, this is Russia. And Ukraine got upset about that. By the way, I love that old lady. Well, she, she's 73. And they were like, are you scared? She's like, no, no, I'm fine. I wish she would have been like, I'm the machine. All right. A pro-Russian resident uh, told correspondent uh, that this is our land, and her words echoed those of most people NBC News spoke to in Crimea this week. So that's what they are saying, that most people were saying this. In response to the broadcast, the Ukrainian government revoked NBC's credentials, effectively confining their local team to a Kyiv hotel. The Crimea visit was a violation of Ukrainian legislation, and we don't want other Western media companies doing the same. Going to Crimea and asking them whether or not they want to be part of Ukraine or part of Russia. They don't want any Western media outlets going and doing that. Now, they can go and do that if they want to, but they'll lose their credentials on reporting from Ukraine, which is what they really want to do. Um, NBC did not apologize for the incident. Once again, some slight props to them for doing that. Uh, but pointed out to the Ukrainians that different reporting teams were involved and eventually got its credentials restored. A photographer also lost his ability to report in Ukraine after a photo essay in the New York Times magazine that documented soldiers' psychological trauma from inside a mental health facility. 
These heated clashes have remained largely behind the scenes because the credentials are vital to report from the country, and journalists worry that a public conflict might further threaten their access. Of course, it would threaten their access. They know that it would. Uh, my, only, my only thing is, why are we all so cool with this? Now, I, I know it's not, it's not really unusual for countries to do this during wartime, and a lot of countries, almost all of them, do it even when their country isn't at war. You'd argue that most of the countries do this kind of thing, actually. But that doesn't mean that we have to support it. It doesn't mean that we have to use our money to support outright attempts to censor whatever the truth is and to censor the media. We don't have to give all of our hard-earned dollars to a war that is only continuing because we're giving all of our money. And then this government, which only still exists because we've given them a lot of our money, is then censoring the press. It's kind of weird if you look at our rights that we say should be protected. I don't know. It kind of sounds like a First Amendment violation to me. Now, let's go to... Oh, there's also another thing. I don't know if you guys remember this, but the uh, CBS News reported they had a documentary, Army in Ukraine, and in the documentary, it said 30% of it reaches its final destination. So about 70% of it was getting wasted. They had no idea where it was going, essentially, is what the CBS News documentary said. Like a day later, they took it down, removed the tweet promoting the documentary, saying that, uh, let's see, Jonas Oman's assessment in late April that only around 30% of the aid was reaching the front lines. Uh, since that time, Oman says delivery has improved. Additionally, the U.S. military has confirmed that defense, uh, whatever, Brigadier General Harmon arrived in Kiev in August for arms control and monitoring. So everything is fine. They're updating their documentary to reflect the new information. Since when do you... Make a documentary about a thing that is happening. And then once, supposedly, that thing is fixed, you delete the documentary as if it never happened. That's the weird part. There's a lot of documentaries out there. And whatever the documentary was about, probably not happening anymore. The situation's probably been resolved, I would say. And so... You just delete the documentary afterwards. It's not a real thing anymore. Or you, you could just make a new documentary and say, oh, hey, look, they fixed the problem. Isn't that cool? More than likely what happened was Ukraine got upset about this. The U.S. got upset about this because that makes it harder to explain to people why you got to take their money and give it to Ukraine when a bunch of it's being wasted. And they decided to remove the documentary. Um, pretty clear although I don't have the evidence right in front of me, that that's what happened. Okay, last part of this Ukraine propaganda episode, I guess, what it's going to be. This one's really interesting, how weapons firms are influencing the Ukraine debate. So we all know what think tanks are. This is pretty interesting. Okay, um... Let me just show you this article headline right quick. Where is it? Okay, The Atlantic. 
It's not enough for Ukraine to win, Russia has to lose. And in this, this scathing piece, this hateful, angry piece about how Ukraine just has to embarrass Russia, has to, let me see, here's some quotes, to be brutal about it, we need to see masses of Russians fleeing, deserting, shooting their officers, taken captive or dead. The Russian defeat must be an unmistakably big, bloody shambles. To that end, with the utmost urgency, the West should give everything that Ukraine could possibly use. And that's what the author of this piece is arguing. Now, would it be important if we knew that the person who wrote this, this guest author that The Atlantic is publishing, that their employer gets a massive part of their funding uh, from defense contractors that are selling all of the weapons that he says we must be giving to Ukraine for them to destroy Russia. Does it seem like a potential conflict of interest when an employee whose salary is partly paid by the sale of weapons to be out there writing for a news publication about how we've got to give Ukraine a whole bunch of weapons and how we have to destroy Russia with Ukraine. It seems like a pretty clear conflict of interest to me. Let's see, what neither Cohen, that's the author, nor The Atlantic acknowledge in the article is that most of the weapons Cohen mentions in the article are made by funders of Cohen's employer, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. A new Quincy Institute brief and let me pull this up. Defense contractor-funded think tanks dominate Ukraine debate. This is the brief. This is kind of like a, they call it a brief. It's kind of like a study. Shows that this article is not an exception. It's the norm. America's top foreign policy think tanks are awash in funding from the defense industry. Now, why do we care about the think tanks being funded? Because the think tanks make a lot of the policy in Washington, and the think tanks send a lot of their thinkers out into the news media to tell people what to think. And they thought of it in their, in their tank. Okay, people in Washington, the lawmakers that are in Washington, they're just people who won popularity contests. Right? They, wouldn't, they wouldn't know how to write up any of this crap. They don't know what's a good idea or a bad idea. They go to people who sit there studying these things all day, writing up these potential laws and potential policies. And that's what they come up with, okay? So the think tanks happen to be pretty important. That's why they get a lot of funding. Okay, America's top foreign policy think tanks are awash in funding. They've dominated the media market related to the Ukraine war, and they seldom, if ever, disclose that many of the weapons they're recommending are made by the people that are funding their think tank. In short, when you hear a think tank scholar comment on the Ukraine war, chances are you're hearing from someone whose employer is funded by those who are profiting from the war. 78% of the top-ranked foreign policy think tanks in the U.S. receive funding from the Pentagon or its contractors. Every single one of the top 10 ranked foreign policy think tanks receive funding from the defense sector. Every one of them in the top 10 receive funding from the defense sector. And for many think tanks, the amount is enormous. The amount of funding is enormous. CSIS, 
and CNAS and the Atlantic Council all report receiving more than a million dollars a year just from the defense sector. Okay, it's quite a bit. The analysis revealed that media outlets were more than seven times as likely to cite a think tank with defense sector support as they were to cite a think tank without it. Seven times more likely a think tank that had defense sector support. Of the 1,247 think tank media mentions they tracked for this brief, 1,064, 85% of them, were mentions of think tanks with defense sector funding. And the two most mentioned think tanks in the Ukraine war-related articles were think tanks flooded with defense sector dollars. CSIS and the Atlantic Council. Listen, this has been happening for a long time. The government takes our money and they use it to pay experts that then propagandize on behalf of whatever the government wants. This study, and I'll put a link in the show notes, is important because the news outlets that we watch or we read, they drive public opinion. And these are, these are the people many Americans trust, the news outlets, which is difficult to trust a news outlet, I get it. But people trust to tell them what they need to do, why they need to do it. They end up deciding what they're going to think or what they're not going to think. Can you decide what you're not going to think? I don't know. The government is in effect using the public's own money to craft the public's own opinion. So the question is, are we funding this war because it's truly the right thing to do? Or are we funding a war because the people who make the weapons told us that we needed to fund the war? I would say that it's that one. Charlie and I talked about this last week. They need turnover in these stockpiles of weapons. The problem with making a gun is that a gun lasts a really long time. When you make a gun, you don't need to replace it. A plane can last a really long time if you take care of it. A bomb lasts a really long time, you know? That's the problem. They got to make them with expiration dates, I guess. Instead, they got to find ways to use up the stockpiles so people will have to go back and buy more to replace them. And that's what it feels like they're doing, especially given the fact that our money goes to these think tanks or to the defense contractors, which then have their own think tanks who send their own people out onto the media to explain to the people why we need to be giving them the weapons that are manufactured by the people who pay their salaries. And then we believe them. It's pretty ridiculous. I'm going to play a... Milton Friedman video. You can listen to this real quick. It's about a four-minute video. And in the video, someone's asking him about the government using what they call Madison Avenue tactics. And what they mean is advertising, marketing, for you kids out there. Uh, the, they mean uh, advertising and marketing and why it's not right. And shouldn't the people be able to decide what's true or what's not true and all that? It's a pretty cool, pretty cool video. And let's listen to that together right now. Thank you. Let's have the next question. My question deals with the point of using Madison Avenue tactics to run what? Madison Avenue tactics. Yes. To run programs through people's throats. Surely, Dr. Friedman, those who claim no knowledge of economics, and indeed many economists too, listen to you. Why do they listen? 
Well, because there is faith in your knowledge and ability to analyze economic problems and launch an acad academic campaign. Suppose in the future, God forbid, you are found to be wrong. Surely, Dr. Friedman, does not the fault lay in our faith than in the decision makers? Does not the myth then grow out of the faith, the same faith we used to believe in you now? So I just want to clarify, the question he's asking, which I think is actually a really good question, if, uh, if, if you just believe Milton Friedman and he turns out to be wrong someday, is that your fault or is it Milton Friedman's fault? That's essentially the question that he's asking. And then they're going to get into the government using Madison Avenue tactics. Uh, but I just wanted to clarify and what that is. I think it's a really good question. Um, I still think it's on the people to figure out what the truth is, but you have to be able to hear from multiple points of view when you're trying to decide what the, uh, the actual truth is. So let's continue. Yes, it does. But there's a big difference, Qu quite a difference. See, I don't have anything, I don't have any objection to Madison Avenue tactics. I think advertising serves a very useful function so long as it's competitive. I think it's fine for me to be able to talk to you as long as other people can talk to you and you can hear other views and you can make up your mind. The thing I object to about government use of Madison Avenue tactics is that it is unrestrained and it isn't, doesn't have effective competition and that it is financed, not voluntarily, not by the people who buy the product. That you and I have to pay taxes to hire people to persuade us to pay still more taxes. That's the feature of it that I object to. I have no objection to individuals in their private capacity getting up on platforms as I'm getting up on this one to try to persuade people in one view or another. But should the people you and I pay with taxes be in that position? Should we have employees of the Social Security Board sending around propaganda for extending Social Security? Is that an appropriate use of governmental money? I don't think so. And that's what I object to. It is not. But aren't the people supposed to be intelligent enough to know deceit from truth? No. <laughs> they are supposed then to be intelligent. Excuse me. They are supposed to be intelligent enough to choose among alternative purveyors of supposed truth. The problem is a one-sidedness. We believe the whole justification for free press, for free speech, for our whole system of adversary justice, the whole justification is that people will be best able to distinguish truth from falsity if they have an opportunity to hear a variety of different opinions. Now, if you only have one opinion spoken, to shift grounds, if we go to the Soviet Union. The people in the Soviet Union are enormously skeptical about what they hear from their government. But they cannot know the truth because they don't hear it. They have to conjecture what is the truth because they only hear one side. They don't believe that, don't misunderstand me. They become experts at reading between the lines. 
but they still don't have access to the full variety of opinion which would enable them to choose and decide intelligently and reasonably about what's right. So let's by all means have a clash of opinion. Let different beliefs clash in the marketplace of ideas. But let's not have a monopoly or a subsidization of one brand of ideas versus another. All right, so pretty good example there from Milton Friedman. And that's really what we're getting right now. We're getting our own money put towards propaganda to convince us to give our own money to do something. And that's not a free marketplace of ideas. And just like we covered what was going on in Ukraine, when you say things that Ukraine doesn't like, they take away your credentials. Okay. And then even when we talk about the Ukrainian Nazis, we can't even say that the Ukrainian Nazis, they're just poor old Ukrainian soldiers who don't understand that the Nazi imagery is on their patches, on their uniforms. They're just too stupid to know what those things are. We can't even talk about that. All right. And then we can't talk about whether or not they blew up Nord Stream. And then there's the bridge to go in the Crimea that they, they deny any involvement in, like Russia blew up their own freaking bridge going to Crimea. Then there's a thing with this dam that just got blown up and that they're immediately blaming Russia. I'm not saying that it wasn't Russia. Okay, there's, there's, there's some reasons that Russia could have done this, I guess, if they plan on losing the war and having to leave and they just wanted to sabotage or create some kind of chaos. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, there, there's some reasons, I reckon, that they could have done this. All we can do is look for the truth, but when you're looking for the truth, that means you got to have multiple points of view allowed. Multiple points of view allowed. And that's not what we're getting. We're paying for one point of view, censoring other points of view, and it just keeps this war going and going. Folks, if you enjoyed this episode, as I'm sure you did, and by the way, Charlie's not here today. I forgot to tell you that when we first started. Uh, it's just me talking right now from my living room in my house. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, go to joingmail.com. You can join up. You can go to God Hates Feds, get yourself a, sh a shirt. The most important thing you can do is subscribe and follow because we got a new episode every single day of the week when we want to. And hit like, tell a friend, leave a comment, a rating, a review, hit retweet, whatever else. Just do all of the things. Do, do every single one of the things that I just said. And if you do all of those things, and I mean all of them, I'll be right back here again tomorrow. Same Liberty time which is whenever, same Liberty Channel, which is right here on our private Discord server, hanging out with the Fed Haters Club. All right, everyone, do all those things. Tell them, have a good day and a good morning. Liberty.